0: Jesus was born in Bethlehem, near Jerusalem, during the reign of King Herod. And after Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests, i.e. wise men in the Christmas story, came to Jerusalem and inquired of the people, where is the child who was born king of the Jewish people? We observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him in worship. Now, how many of you have ever... Read the story, or, you know, we're we're pretty familiar uh, with the wise men story. How many of you have a nativity scene? How many wise men are there? Three. Mm -hmm. All right. You know, the Bible doesn't actually say three wise men. Mm -hmm. Just three different kinds of gifts, but could have been a whole group of these guys. It probably was a whole group of these guys. We don't know a lot about them, do we? If you look at this story, it really creates... A ton of questions, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. To which we have very little information. Other than... Let me just read you out of the Passion Translation. There's a little commentary part. Uh, the word that is used in the Greek is astrologers. So, stargazers. Now, when I say astrology, that doesn't mean like your horoscope in the, <laughs> in the newspaper or something, you know, like Sagittarius or whatever all those things are. It, it has more to do with those that look to the stars. Now... It's interesting because these guys came from the East, probably Persia, all right now uh, this I'm just going to read what it says astrologers known as dream interpreters. so somehow or another they're interpreting dreams, with this word in the Greek word, through the stars and some kind of uh, celestial, if you will, connection that they have. So already it's just raising more questions, right like button that sounds more like you know, the devil's territory than it does God's territory. But they were wealthy priests. They would have traveled with an entourage for protection as officials from the east. The Greek word magos is taken from the Mead language and means spiritual advisors, okay, or simply priests. So we find, you know, I think a lot of times we take... <laughs> Imagine this, Americans uh, kind of just putting their view on things. Kings, you know, it's not really in the word, so we three kings of Orient art advisors. These were appointed, these spiritual advisors, these magos, were appointed by Darius, who is the king, who had been the king of Persia, over the state religion as priests of Persia. In Persia, does anybody know where Persia is in modern day? Iran. Iran, that's right. You get a, a star for the day. Very good. <laughs> and they served as official advisors to the king. So these guys are, are hoity toities. These are like really high, high ranking guys. And it says by the time of Jesus' birth, Persia had been conquered by uh, and was ruled by, by governors. Set up by Alexander the Great. So, if you remember, if you remember your history lesson, Alexander the Great comes out of Greece he comes in, and he heads east, and he actually takes over and conquers Persia. Then he heads even farther east into India and the whole thing. When he died, his empire gets split up into these different things, and one of his governors, this part in Persia, is actually so. There's this Greek kind of west and east connection uh, at the time of Jesus' birth. So the travel probably would have taken five to eight months, okay? But that doesn't mean that that's the first time they saw the star. So we don't know really the time frame, but according to ancient travel and how long things took, probably five to eight months. But what we do know is they pick up this star, and we'll get to that a little bit in the story. But it's an interesting connection because these magos that are in the Greek, this Greek word, they... They have a tie back to Daniel, the book of Daniel. And it's interesting, the prophet Daniel is given the title, if you read Daniel 2 and, and Daniel 5, the title of Chief of the Magio, or the Mago, that same word. So we find that Daniel's uh, Jewish influence into the courts and the, these astrologers, if you will, these priests, uh, he was the chief of these Magos, or these Magios. So it's entirely possible that what Daniel taught them had been passed down all the way to these three, we'll say three kings, it was probably more than that. But these, these, uh, these stargazers, these astrologers, had some connection through Daniel and the prophetic down now. It, you can kind of see, they, they get sent into exile in Persia, Daniel goes, teaches these guys, now it comes to Jesus being born, they see something in the heavens that, that is totally different. And they refer to it as his star. So they, they understand that Israel's been cut off from God the exile and they've been punished. But that at some point, Daniel prophesied, and he taught these guys, most probably, that now when they notice something in the heavens, they're like, oh, wait, what, we've been taught by, you know, passed down from Daniel. You see how it's kind of as a full circle kind of thing? It's really interesting. And so again, that's, that's, that's... Uh, one man's opinion or you know what I mean type of thing but it does seem by using the same word in the Greek that they have in the Medo-Persian empire that there is probably some connection to Daniel I just thought that was really interesting and uh, how they figured out the star and all that we we don't really know but we do know this verse 3 King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this remember what what they had asked verse 2 he says, where is this child? He was born king of the Jewish people. So Herod's the king. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he gets these guys coming back with an astrological uh, situation. We've come to, uh, before him. Verse 3, he's shaken to the core. Not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard the news. Did that verse ever, you, did you ever have any questions when you were reading that? Mm-hmm. Over the years I've read that, and I think, oh, how, do, how does the whole city know what's going on? Right,
1: right. I never paid attention
0: to it. Right, they, but never, you, they
1: never had computers.
0: And all of Jerusalem. Yeah, it wasn't on the Twitter feed for Herod or nothing. Slash tag Herod, you know. like it, wasn't, it just wasn't. Here's how I think the whole city was in turmoil. Because a huge group of people, rich guys with a lot of wealth, <laughs> and a whole entourage, because there had to be soldiers and servants and all thing. this huge caravan starts coming through Jerusalem. Yeah, that's how the whole city knew. If they would just come to Herod, nobody, you know, three guys on a camel, you know, like that wouldn't have been any big deal. But a huge honorage with a bunch of rich people and these wealthy priests and astrologers from the east coming, that would have created a buzz in Jerusalem. It's disturbed, okay? So in verse four, it goes on, it says, so he called a meeting of the Jewish ruling priests. So Herod's all worked up. He's the king. And if you know anything about Herod, if you've done any if you study any history about Herod, he's he's powerful and insecure at the same time. Herod is the guy that killed several of his own sons so they couldn't rise up and take his place. He's a very evil, wicked king. But he's very insecure. Like he, there was a, there was a, you know, a conspiracy behind every pillar in the palace. You know, like somebody. And so he's just lopping people's heads off, and he's killing them, and his own sons, his own family, his own wives. He kills a couple of them. We understand. I mean, just crazy paranoid, right? So you can imagine. Here's paranoid Herod killing all these people, and he's three. This huge thing from the east shows up in Jerusalem and says, "Hey, where's 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 the king of the Jews?" <laughs> he's like. um... I'm the king. She no. We saw a star in the east, and we followed it, and we brought him here, and now we want to see this this, this baby boy. So you can kind of see how paranoid Herod is, like. <laughs> what? So he's like, okay, you guys wait in the other room. You get in here, you priests. <laughs> you know, you you guys are supposed to know something. Tell me something. And he calls this meeting of the Jewish priests, the scholars, demanding that they tell him where the promised Messiah was prophesied to be born. Now, again, let's get the context, right? This, there has been a over 400 year gap between the last prophetic word and now. So Herod, can you imagine how he's uh, probably sensing a a certain destiny to this whole thing? You know, not only is he paranoid about the whole king thing, but born king of the Jews and the star and, and the Messiah, did he finally show up? And most Jewish people, just so we're all on the same page, most Jewish people interpreted the prophecies about the Messiah to be the king. He's going to come in powerful and hot and liberate the Jewish people. So, who is ruling over the Jewish people as a whole at this point? Anybody know? Rome. Rome. Rome has a heavy thumb, but they also put leaders from the people in charge. So Rome is in charge of the whole known world, basically. But they put Herod in charge of this region. He's the king over this region. So not only is he paranoid about people from within, he's also got this whole Roman thing hovering over him as well. So it's a really interesting situation. But he's Jewish enough to understand that there's prophecies about this Messiah. You know, literally, like, dozens to over a 100 of these things. Just a ton of prophecies, different ones. So they go and check their, their records, they check the Torah, they check all everything, and they come back, verse 5 and 6, and they say, he will be born in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, because the prophecy states, I think this is out of Micah, and you little Bethlehem are not insignificant among the clans of Judah, for out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people, Israel. So they have an answer. They not only have an answer to the the star and the king and all that, but they also have the location. So what we know about Herod is not good. He wants to stay king at all costs. He hears this prophecy, and he starts scheming. Right? He starts a plan. Verse 7 and 8 says this, Then Herod secretly summoned the spiritual priest from the east to ascertain the exact time the star first appeared. And he told them, now go to Bethlehem and carefully look there for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I can go and bow down and worship him too. And uh, apparently (laughs) these spiritual priests, astrologers, kings, whatever you want to call them, they were really good with the stars, but they probably didn't read people too well. (laughs) Because here's this evil king with this evil plan and they're not picking up on his plan, right? like, okay, we'll go to Bethlehem. You know what I'm saying? So, verse 9 and 10. And so they left, and on their way to Bethlehem, suddenly the same star appeared. So this is interesting, isn't it? Like, it must have disappeared at some time, and then now reappeared. And and again, the Bible doesn't tell us anymore. I'm just going to throw in my two cents. Are you ready? In our lives has God ever guided you to a certain point and then was silent? And you were supposed to obey him up to a certain point, and then, like, you know, a lot of times with God, we, we expect him to keep doing exactly the same thing. But sometimes, I think, the walk of faith involves trusting him as, oh, okay, that's the next step? Okay, I'll take that next step. And then you wait for your next orders. Some of you are in the military. I know Joe and Ed, you are in the military. Anybody else in the military? Okay, well, in the military, do they tell you the whole battle plan, or do they just tell you your part and what you're supposed to do next, right? Yeah. And you say, yes, sir, (laughs) right? So I kind of have a feeling God did the whole star thing enough to get them from Persia all the way over here. They get to Jerusalem, and they're like, okay, so that's. they're looking up at the star, and they're going, okay. Okay, this I think it's Jerusalem. Let's go talk to Herod and they do this whole thing. But apparently the star had kind of disappeared. So they come back out and they're like, oh, okay, Bethlehem, I think is, you know. And all of a sudden, boom, up in the sky, the star appears again. And these guys, they don't know personal politics, you know, Herod and all this stuff, but they do know stars, man. And they see this star and they go, okay, plan. B or the second part of the plan. Let's head off. And so, after they have this meeting, they look up and uh, they find the star and uh, the same star that they had seen in the east. What does it say? Reappeared. So here's the here's the takeaway. I think sometimes, you know, sometimes we get we get wrapped up in doing the thing that God has told us to do, and we think that's it. That's all of it. Right? See, sometimes I think in churches... uh, Have you ever been in a church that's stuck in, like, the previous decade? Because they obeyed, and they came out a certain direction, but then they didn't seek God for the next revelation or the next part of the journey. (laughs) I'll never forget. Um, I've been around church a long time. I was born in 65, and... That's it. I've been in church ever since. <laughs> so I've been to a lot of churches. My parents were missionaries, so we traveled around and saw a lot of churches. I've served in churches. i you know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, do you ever remember? Maybe you guys didn't do this, but a lot of churches. There was a song back in the seventies. In the seventies, called uh, "The Family of God," because mm-hmm. I'm so glad yeah. I'm a part of the family of God. So. <laughs> Jody and I were pastoring up in, in Sock Center in Minnesota. It was in the 2000s, you know. And we went and visited this church for some event. And the pastor gets up and he goes, Now let's sing our welcome song and greet one another as we sing. I'm so glad I'm a part. And I'm sitting there looking at Jody going, Oh my word, they've been singing this exact song since 1973 or whatever when it first came out. Every greeting, every service, every time. And we laughed at it because we're like, wow, this church is stuck. And it was as if God really spoke to me. And I think this is one of the things. Always be ready for your marching orders, even if they're different from your last ones. Or if, you know, like in the case of these magi, it's the same star, but it had disappeared. See, sometimes I think in our lives, God will disappear from us. But he still expects us to look. And it kind of goes back to this hope thing and this, and this suddenly thing. Like, why did the star stop shining for a while? I have no idea. Other than, you know, when the Magi came out and they started going again, the star came back on. And it was, well, how did they know the star came back on? Because they were looking for the star. They were looking for the next thing. The star had brought them this far and then went out for some reason. We don't know why. And God fully expected them to keep looking, keep anticipating, and look to the heavens, if you will, for their next step in the journey. So I just want to encourage us today, if you feel sometimes like the light goes out, if the plan kind of stops and you're like, oh, just keep trusting and just keep looking. Keep looking to the heavens. Keep looking to God for the next part of the journey. You say amen with me? Amen. That's good. Verse 9 and 10. And so they left, and on their way to Bethlehem, suddenly the same star they had seen in the east reappeared. Amazed, they watched as it went ahead of them and stopped directly over the place where the child was. Oh, isn't that interesting? From the east, they see the star before. It would have appeared to be stationary. Only this next part of the journey, the star is moving. And so it's, it's the same, yet it's different. Are you tracking me? I just think that part of the story is so cool. Like, God says, yeah, you know, uh, I'm just going to mix it up a little bit with you guys. <laughs> I'm going to do a little. I'm one of those that believes that the manger scenes you have in your living room are wrong. The shepherds and the wise men weren't there on the same day. No, okay. no, they, it's probable, based on what Herod does next, that Jesus was upwards of two years old. The star stops directly over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. I think this is really interesting. Uh, in the, Again, the commentary for the Passion Translation, it says the Greek is really hard to translate for this verse. The Greek is hard to translate since it contains so many redundant words for joy in this one verse. Literally, this is what it should read. They rejoiced with great joy exceedingly. <laughs> like, like, in other words, you can't cram enough joy into one verse is what, what, what the Greek is really saying. Like, these guys were st- like we can use all our modern terms, they were stoked, they were, they were ripped, they were all these things, like they were so excited to see this boy, to see it. And again, isn't it interesting, they had some kind of knowledge that there was a person involved and a boy, and it was through the star. I, you know, it kind of to me, it reinforces the Daniel influence all the way over in Persia that these guys had some prior knowledge and understanding of Jewish scriptures and the Messiah and all that stuff, so that they show up, and these guys are excited. They were ecstatic, they're joyful. Verse 11, that goes on. When they came to the house and saw the young child, see so it says young child there? It's a little bit different than baby. When they came to the house and saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they were overcome. Can you imagine how excited they are? They, they can't even express it on seeing the star. They're that excited about the star. Can you imagine when it actually stops over this house and they come in and see Jesus? They are, they are over the top. They are so excited. They were overcome. Falling to the ground at his feet, they worshiped him. Again, if you don't factor in the fact that through Daniel these guys had some knowledge of who it was they were looking at why would they be so you know what I'm saying there really wouldn't be any sense to that some guys in the east Persia a whole other religion stargazers you know what I'm saying there had to be some connection to that star that boy the prophecies that are finally coming true after 400 years and isn't it interesting a group of people how many ever kings astrologers or however many of these guys there are They actually get it, where most of the Israelites didn't. Foreigners, un-Jewish people, get it better than than the Jewish people did. What's the lesson for us? Think about who these guys. Just think about. Okay, we know kind of who they are. We got that, but what are they doing? They're looking to the heavens and the sky with knowledge of the whole Jewish Messiah thing, I believe, and they're anticipating, they're looking. When something changes, guess what? They noticed. See, I think sometimes Christians, especially American Christians, like, it takes God, (laughs) sometimes it takes God a a two-by-four up the side of the head for us to notice anything or to be aware. That's why, you know, one of the reasons why we take so long with worship is, you know, what did we sing this morning? Let us become more aware of your presence, your goodness, your spirit, right? Because I think God can do a lot with people that are looking for him to move and the next step in the journey. What he doesn't really want is a bunch of religious people doing the same thing and having their plans and purposes, which is really what most of the people... Like, think about Jesus' birth. The angels show up to the shepherds, who are the nothings of society, and then we've got Mary and Zechariah and then uh, I think Anna later on a little bit. Some of the religious thing, but for the most part, Jesus kind of slides into planet Earth under the radar, doesn't he? And then it's like he lives his life and pops up 33 years later. In the... But there were people that actually were anticipating and waiting and were ready when he did show up. And I would just say this, God, let us be those people. Because things can stay the same until they're not the same. I know that sounds so wise, doesn't it? But isn't that true? Like with hope and the darkness thing we're talking about? I just feel like these guys give us us, an example to follow of being ready to move. And at great cost. Like they, you know, (laughs) Persia's a long ways away, however long it took them to get there. And now we're going to see, it says that they were overcome and they at his feet and they worshipped. Then they opened their treasure boxes full of gifts and presented him with gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now, of course, that's where we get the three kings because of the three different kind of gifts. But it doesn't say that that was the only gift because it says they opened up the treasure boxes <laughs> and the three biggies happened to be gold, which is obviously the number one Commodity from then all the way through today, you know, gold is the thing. Frankincense uh, was a spice um, used for a lot of different things, but it was very expensive and it was uh, it wasn't commonplace in any in any. If you got a gift and it was frankincense, you're like have you, ever, have you ever gotten a gift that totally overwhelmed you? And I think with frankincense it's kind of that way. gold. can you imagine? Now, we always come from the assumption that Mary and Joseph are poor, right? Poor Mary and Joseph, and they're, you know. But from this point on, they're not poor anymore. Even if they were poor, we don't know for sure. But from this point on, they won the lottery. This was a huge bunch of money and expensive things, all the way to myrrh, which also is one of those spices that's not common, and it's very expensive and actually used for for burial. They would put myrrh on people when they were wrapping them up and put them in the the grave, which I think is pretty cool of Scripture to throw myrrh in there for our coming lamb who's going to take away the sins of the world and die for our sins one day. But Mary and Joseph are now set. They've got a ton of money. They've got a ton of resources. They are wealthy from this point on, okay? We don't have a lot of time to go into more on that, but let's, let's finish up here. Verse 12, they returned to their own country by another route because God had wanted, warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. Now this is so, oh man, I wish we had more time. But Mary gets a, a, a visitation from an angel. It's a supernatural thing. Joseph has a dream telling him to marry Mary and do all that. Now the wise men are getting a dream telling them what to do. Joseph gets three more heavenly visitation dreams that tell him what to do and where to go. So right after this, Joseph has a dream. The angel of the Lord, let's just read it real quick. Verse 13. angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Get up now and flee to Egypt. Take Mary and the little child and stay there until I tell you to leave. For Herod intends to search for the child to kill him. So that very night, Joseph gets up and took Jesus and his mother and made their escape to Egypt and remained there until Herod died. All of this fulfilled what the Lord has spoken through his prophet. I will summon my son out of Egypt. So I believe that was uh, uh, Jeremiah that said that. So they go to, they go, they take off that night. They head over because Herod's about to do something horrible. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. So he sent soldiers with orders to slaughter every baby boy two years old and younger in Bethlehem and throughout the surrounding countryside based on the time frame he was given from interrogating the wise men. Verse 17, this fulfilled the words of the prophet Jeremiah. I hear the screams of anguish, weeping, and wailing in Ramah. Rachel is weeping uncontrollably for her children, and she refuses to be comforted because they are dead and Gone. You ever? How many of you bumped into this verse and had questions about it? Anybody ever read this one? <laughs> Do you know that uh, this particular Christmas passage isn't preached a lot in churches <laughs> on, on Christmas Sunday? Do you understand what this verse is saying? It's saying that God told Jeremiah upwards of five hundred or more years before this that there was going to be coming his son, the Messiah was going to come to earth and as a result of that all everybody else's baby boys were going to be killed does that seem heavy to you? and here's the thing God didn't change the plan he still Sent his son to earth, knowing that to fulfill that prophecy, this prophecy that he had given Jeremiah 500 years ago was going to be that all of the mothers, Rama is another word they use for Judah. So all of the, the mothers of, of, of Rama, Rachel, is, are weeping. They've lost all their baby boys. What's the first question that comes to your mind?
1: Couldn't he
0: have changed the plan? Couldn't you have changed the plan, God? What else? I
1: guess one of the questions always that big
0: question, why? Why did, it, why did the kiss happen? Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, your baby is the most important because he's the Messiah and the Son of God. I get it. But <clears throat> all these other babies are pretty important, too, aren't they? So Rama oftentimes equals Judah, okay. and Rachel refers to uh, the people. So Rama is the location; Rachel is the Jewish, is the Jewish people. Okay. And of course, they're using the word Rachel in the in the woman form, speaking to the people because it's Rachel had the people have given birth, the women have given birth to sons. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of a female version of calling him Judah and uh, the people of God, the Israelites. Wow. Oh, we were cruising along pretty good there for a while, weren't we? Mm-hmm. And you hit this story, and I'm telling you, it is a really hard story. Back a couple months ago, we were talking in the Bible study. Again. Do you know that uh, when Abraham is given the prophetic word that through him all nations on earth will be blessed, and I will bless those that bless you, and how you know the nation of Israel is going to be blessed through Abraham, it goes on a little bit farther, and God tells him in a prophetic In prophetic words, all of your descendants, there's going to be a time for uh, 480 years, I think it says, 480 years. They're going to be in bondage in another country and they're going to be slaves. (laughs) You know, God knew that Israelites were going to go to Egypt and be slaves in bondage for 480 years. From the beginning, it was part of God's plan that they be in this Slavery in this bondage in this horrible place so that he can then deliver them and bring them back home. Man, does that not blow your mind that God knows exactly? Now, there's different theories on why they were bondage so long and some of that stuff. We don't really need to go there. All I'm going to say is he prophesied it. 480 years were going to be this thing. And that was generations before it actually happened. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then his sons uh, with... Is Joseph that they go down to Egypt, and then there's multiple more generations until they're finally uh, relieved and and, uh, rescued. I think all I'm going to say to this, and I again, there are parts of God I do not understand. This verse, the Rama, the weeping, the destruction of of babies, and all that stuff—I don't. anybody get it? I mean, are you? (laughs) Do you like? It's just too much to comprehend. Other than, here's what I think one of the takeaways is. There are going to be things in our life that happen that we do not understand. But one thing we are required to do is there, there is no other God. And God is good all the time, even when it looks like he's not. Have you ever had circumstances in your life that it looks like God isn't good? And it'd be easier to to declare, God, you're not good. Everything around me says you're not good. This happened, cancer happened, this this person died, or this horrible thing, or I lost my job, or whatever. It looks like God's not good. And yet, the Bible says that he is good, and he is love.
1: And just because God knew that this was going to happen, doesn't mean that he caused it to happen. Exactly. You know, you could see two cars coming to an intersection. You know they're going to hit. But it's not your fault that the accident happens. So, I mean, yes, God is in control. But he also gives mankind free will. And we play out our free will. Mm-hmm. And so, is it? was it God who killed the six million Jews during the Holocaust? Mm-hmm. No. Did he allow it to happen? Yes. yes. The result is Israel is a nation today. Mm-hmm. Would I have chosen that plan? No.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because the first question that you're going if to... You, if you bring that argument to an unbeliever or someone that you're having this discussion with, they... It won't fly. Because <laughs> what are they going to say? God if God is so great, why didn't he intervene? That's right. If he's love, why didn't he change the plan? And yet, it's interesting because, and again, understanding God's plan and his wisdom in something requires more than human understanding. It requires supernatural faith. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? This is really important for us because God wakens Joseph and says, here's this dream. I want you to snatch up right now and get your wife and your son and all this new money I gave you that I funded your trip to Egypt. Do <laughs> you see that? Because the wise men gave them a ton of money, now they can move to Egypt. They can get up and run in the middle of the night. Why? Because God knows that Herod's about to do a horrible, nasty thing. God is good. God is love. God has a plan. You know, I'm a child of God. <laughs> there's all these things that we find in Scripture to be true. It is not easy to follow God.
1: Is it so much better on the other side?
0: See, there's that. Because you know, you get heaven or hell, you got to make my in or my out. But here's the thing you can choose to be in, but bitter. That's true.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: well, do you understand? How many of you know Christians like that? Mm-hmm. My brother, I, I think he wrote these words, I'm pretty sure he did in one of his songs. He says, How can I, the clay pot, raise my clay fist to God and curse the potter's plan?" You see what I'm saying? Like we do not have all the understanding. And it's the thing that makes faith actually really hard. Because <laughs> you're choosing to trust in someone and his perfection and perfect plan, even though it looks horrible. You know, we were talking a little bit before, again, and we'll, we'll touch on this next Sunday as well, because in John chapter 7, we find Jesus actually coming into conflict over how his brothers think and how he thinks. And in America, in the church in America, we are more concerned with not offending people and having them come into our church and not be offended than we are about some of the truths of God's word. Mm -hmm. I believe this is true. Like, if we're afraid or ashamed of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, we've just done it wrong. Now, have churches gone too far and so you know, be very abrasive and weird and just horrible? Yeah. But the basic thing of trusting in Jesus, it's, you know, when Paul says, you know, I want to be like Christ and, and in the power of his resurrection. And then what does it say? And his sufferings. <laughs> like, we don't talk about sufferings. We don't talk about the hard parts of this. This is a hard part about Fully trusting God, isn't it? This is tough. You know, we love the wise men show up in the stars and they, they pull the fast one on Herod and all that stuff is cool. But then, because of the whole story, who knows how many hundreds of babies are killed and God escapes with his son, but had the foreknowledge to bring these wise men from the east with a bunch of money to fund the trip south and back. Many scholars believe that the money that they got from the wise men actually funded their lives for the rest of their lives. <laughs> they were wealthy, if you will, the rest of their lives. Because we're talking about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These things uh, were worth something. But isn't it interesting? Verse 19 and 20. I know we're going late. Just go with me. I'll go. I'll. I'll, we'll, I'll preach less next Sunday. Make up for it. <laughs> so but it says this. After Herod died... The angel of the Lord appeared again to Joseph. Do you see this? How many times is God intersecting with humanity? But even the whole death of the children thing is, he knows what's going on. He's got a plan. He's funded it. He's telling people ahead of time. There's foreknowledge. 500 years ago, I mean, just all the prophetic words. And then he sowns to Joseph in a dream and it says, Go back to the land of Israel and take the child and his mother with you. For those who sought to kill the child are dead. And Again, we see the prophetic. Again, we see the supernatural. Is it surrounded with questions? Like, I don't even know if Joseph and Mary knew that Herod had killed all the babies in Bethlehem or around there. We don't know that. I'm sure they probably heard about it eventually. I'm sure they probably knew that it was because of their son that all these other people lost their sons. Some of these things just blow your mind, don't they? So, verse 21, he does it again. He wakes them up, takes Joseph and Mary, and returns to the land of Israel. Jumping back to verse 22, it says, But when he heard that Archelaus, Herod's son, had succeeded him as ruler of all of the territory of Judah, he was afraid to go back. Then he had another dream. How many now? Four dreams with directions for him. Another dream from God warning him to avoid that region and instructing him instead to go to the province of Galilee. So he settled his family in the village of Nazareth, fulfilling the prophecy that would be known as, that he would be known as the branch. Uh, the, the root word of Nazareth is the word for branch. <laughs> so. All those verses we find about Jesus being, or God being the vine, and where the, you know, all the the metaphors, uh, that's where it comes from. So, you ever heard that phrase, sorry, not sorry? That's me this morning. kind of sorry that we have this real kind of hard thing that we ended up with, but I'm not really sorry. Why? Because I think to be a true believer you have got to march through the mud. You have got to plow through these areas. If you don't address and, you know, like, remember the Bible talks about Jacob wrestling with God all night long. I feel like there are certain things in our lives we have got to wrestle with God. Sometimes church is good. We come to church, we get prayer. It's awesome. Last week, you know, we pray for you, and things work out, and it's awesome. It's good. But there's some things that take a little more, and you just have to get down and dirty with God and say, God, I don't get what you're doing here. Show me what this is. Show me how to process this. If it's true that I don't have to process with my understanding, then I've got to find the mind of Christ. Amen. So I want to encourage you. Sorry, not sorry (laughs) that we did this, but I I feel like God is wanting to take us to deeper waters and deeper places that I can't put on you and somebody else can't pray into you. You've got to march it out and figure out, am I going to trust a God that I don't completely understand? And if I do, if I'm going to choose to do that, then Lord, you give me the thoughts I need to to be successful. Amen. Ooh, stand up. Please, just grab the hand of the person next to you. And we're just going to speak life into each other right now. And uh, the cool thing about this is that everybody's got different processes and ways of doing things. But Lord, you know each and every one. You know every thought of our mind. You know every part of our being. The word says that before we were even in our mother's womb, you formed us and you made us and you crafted us. And Lord, you uh, know what you're doing. So God, even in the midst of seeming darkness, even in the midst of areas of not understanding, but even in this story, we see the prophets speaking hundreds of years before. We see you speaking to, to pagan wise men to come east and be a huge part of the story and the provision for Marian and Joseph and Jesus. Lord, we see your hand at work in all these things. And I ask, oh God, that you would allow us to see your hand at work, even in our uh, lack of understanding. (laughs) Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be those that lean on you and not lean on ourselves. Grant us your thoughts, your revelation, your ways. We ask you for that today. In Jesus' name. Look, as people said, Amen. 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 Okay.